0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. I'm Josh, one of the pastors. If you're with us online, just want to say welcome to you. Uh, And if you're here, uh, thanks for braving the uh, snow and the elements and uh, making it here, although I know I'm not quite a native New Englander yet. um, So everyone was like, Josh, this isn't anything. This isn't a big deal. So but way to go, way to be here. you get half a gold star in heaven, I guess. I don't know if being in New England, but it's great to be here. It's so it's so weird uh, being new to New England. Um, you know, being in you know shorts and a T-shirt at the park playing pickleball yesterday with my sons, and then snow today. So um, we we hoped for variety when we moved and chose a new place to live, and we got it. So. Um, so we're excited about that. But as we get started, I want to ask you uh, to pull out your Connect card that you got on the way in. If you're with us online, um, you can click on the digital Connect card on our online campus. As well, you can go to communitycovenant.church slash nextstep, and that's really just our hub of where we're putting all our information for things. And so if you're um, new with us, if you're a guest, we'd love to know that you're with us. If you're a regular part of Community Covenant, we'd love for you to fill out the the Connect card and just let us know that you're with us, you don't know us. There's a place for some prayer requests as well as some next steps that I'll get to um, in a moment. But while you're filling that out, a couple things to let you know about. If you go to our next step page, you'll see the places to sign up for parents' night off. So if you have kids, we are doing a parents' night off. So you can go have a date night um, so that you can go take a nap or whatever it is that you would like to do. Um, But you can get some information there for that as well as our IF gathering that's coming up. for uh, It's an event for women coming up the first weekend of March. But while you're filling that out, I want to give you a quick financial update. Uh, Once a month, I just try to share where we are financially. You can see on the screen uh, just our update of what has been given so far to date, as well as our budget. Um, You can see that we've had $110,000 given uh, since the beginning of the year, and you can see what our budget is as well. And so you'll notice that we're ahead right now, which is a huge, huge thing for us as a church to be ahead. That's a great thing. Um, And one of the things I want to let you know about is we are this year... Um, You've noticed that we've been doing some upgrades here in the auditorium. Um, We are doing some kind of uh, upgrades around our property that we have put off for several years. Um, And so you'll see some new things. One of the things that you're gonna see in a couple of weeks is we are getting new speakers. Um, installed um, in this room, which is going to be an incredible thing because our speakers are about 30 years old. And um, and so it's going to be just so much better sound-wise. Uh, you'll notice uh, we've installed our drum cage, which has been a huge thing to just help with sound. And so you'll see some things that are happening. So I want to encourage you, um, if you are a part of our church, if you give faithfully, I want to say thank you, number one, but to continue to do so um, and if you're new to CCC and trying to figure out, is this your church home, as you get plugged in and say, this is where I want to dive in and be a part of it, I want to challenge you to just be a part of what God is doing as we uh, worship together in giving. And, and one of the things that, that we are excited about, you'll know um, back in October, I shared that we are started the process to hire a pastor to oversee community kids and community students. Um, we're calling him our next gen pastor, and um, we have narrowed it down to a final candidate, And so, which is a huge celebration. And so, March 4th through the 10th, he and his family will be here, and uh, we're just excited about that. So, I'll share some more details um, about who he is in the coming weeks and what that weekend's going to look like. But they'll be here for a Sunday and a Wednesday, and uh, that's going to be an exciting thing. So, continue praying. Uh, Continue pray. Pray that uh, that it that it's not like this when they come. Pray, pray that it was yesterday when they come. So pray for that. Pray for that kind of weather, you know, because when I came, it was yesterday. That's what the weather was like when I interviewed. It was yesterday. And so, um, but yeah, so be praying for that. And just be praying as uh, they have four kids um, and, and just the, the transition that that will mean uh, for them in the, in the coming months if they are, um, if they move up here. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive in and get started on our new series today. So Father, I thank you just for all the things that you're doing in our church around our church. I thank you for uh, just, the, just the beautiful weather of being able to, to feel the cool air and to, to see the snow. And I just thank you for how you are, are moving in the lives of people, drawing them not only to you, but also um, in this process of hiring a new pastor, how you have worked in people's lives and people's hearts to draw them to our church. And so God, I pray that as we just embark on this new season, um, as we get ready for what's ahead, And as we open up your word today, I pray that you would speak to us, that our hearts would be ready, our hearts would be open um, to what you have as we dive into your word and look at relationships in your name. Amen. Well, so we're kicking off a new series today called The Better Half, and, you know, it's Valentine's Day weekend. Um, It's February. People start to think about relationships uh, a lot of times, and if you have a relationship and you uh, haven't gotten anything for Valentine's Day, um, Amazon is still there for you, Um, so make sure you... You know, don't just give them a gift card from the grocery store, um, you know, for Valentine's Day. But, but the thing is, is that we spend a lot of time thinking about all of our relationships. We spend a lot of time thinking about our marriage, if you're married. You spend a lot of time thinking uh, about aging parents. You spend a lot of time thinking about your student and, and the stress and the worry that goes along with that. If you're a student, you spend a lot of time thinking about friendships, You spend a lot of time thinking about dating, and you think a lot about, and it causes a lot of stress when you think about your relationships at work. Those relationships cause a lot of stress. And we spend a lot of time thinking about relationships, especially when they're not working well. When relationships aren't working well, we spend a lot of time worrying about them. And here's kind of a common refrain that'll happen. When someone starts to vent about a relationship in their life that's not working well, they'll say things like, if only they would do blank, right? If only my spouse would just put down their phone, be more affectionate. Parents will say this a lot. If only my teenager would, would just pick up their clothes, put down their phone. If only my boss would just say thanks or give me a raise. If only my parents would, would just leave me alone or stay out of my hair. See, and the truth be told, in our relationships, they would get better if the other person did those things. Like the thing that you wish your spouse would do, your marriage would improve if they did those things. The thing that you wish your friends or your teenager would do, your relationship would get better if they did those things. But have you noticed you can't actually make them do any of those things? Have you noticed like no matter how much you nag No matter how much you uh, slam cupboard doors in the kitchen, you can't get people to come help you in the kitchen. Have you ever noticed that? No matter how much you bang things, no matter how much you threaten to take phones or screen time or to stop doing laundry, have you ever noticed that no matter how much we threaten, nothing really seems to change? Have you noticed this? And yet, what do we do? We spent so much time and so much energy and so much worrying trying to change the other half of the relationship. When the reality is, and this is the big idea for this whole series, the only person you control in a relationship is you. The only person you can change or improve in a relationship is you. The only person you are in charge of is you. And yet, we spend a lot of time on the other half. We spend a lot of time on the other half. We'll listen to podcasts, we'll read books and highlight it for them and leave it out for them. And I knew knew a, a wife one time that would read books, highlight it and dog ear it for her husband in hopes that he would read it. But the reality is, is that you can't change the other person in the relationship. And so for the next five weeks, we're gonna look at how to be the better half. What does it take for you to be the better half in all of your relationships? What does it take for you to be the better half of the employee-boss relationship? What does it take for you to be the better half in your marriage, in your parenting, at at school with your friends? What does it take for you to be the better half? And so a couple of things we're gonna look at to kind of give you a roadmap of where we're going. We're gonna look at how to move forward when you're hurt. One of the things that keeps us Stuck in so many relationships is we get stuck in bitterness and resentment and anger because of past hurts. So, how do you move forward from that? How do you protect yourself and your most important relationships? How do you protect yourself, protect your heart? How do you protect your body and your mind in relationships? Next week, we're going to look at how every relationship has a tone, has a narrative, has a story. And how how do you set the right tone in your relationship? And then one of the weeks, I'm going to have my wife Katie teach with me on how to love the other half, how do you love yourself, and kind of walk through that. But today, I want to talk about your past. I want to talk about your story. Because the reality is one of the things that keeps you and I stuck and keeps us from being the better half in relationships and keeps us from experiencing the life and relationships that God has for us is actually everything that happened in our past, Everything that we've experienced, everything for better or worse that we've walked through. Now, if you and I were having coffee together and we were sitting down and we would, we'd be at somewhere better than Dunkin' Donuts, but if you and I were having coffee together, we would be, okay? Like that, it's fine. You guys can boo whatever it's, yeah. It's not good coffee. It's just not, okay? So I get, you know, so, but if you and I were sitting down ha- having coffee together and, and we started to talk about relationships, this will happen a lot of times. I'll sit down with people. And they'll start to talk about relationships, because the reality is our relationships, our relational web hits every single part of our life and every other aspect of our life. Your relationships at home have an enormous impact on your relationships at church, at school, at work, and vice versa. Have you ever noticed how when you're stressed at work, you you have a tendency to bring that home? When you're stressed at home, you have a tendency to take that to work. And and so we would be sitting there, and we would be talking about relationships, And I wouldn't necessarily ask you about the other people you're frustrated about. I wouldn't necessarily ask you what they did. But I would ask you a question that would probably surprise you. And it would be one of the first questions I'd ask you. And I would just say this I would say, if you could change one thing in your life right now, or one thing about your life right now and relationships, what would it be? And the reason I would ask this is because too often we spend a lot of our relational energy just being frustrated and not actually trying to move forward. We spend a lot of our relational energy simply just venting instead of trying to find a way to something new. See, there's a good chance that if you and I were sitting there, and even today as you think about this question, there's a good chance that there's something in your relational world that you would like to change. There's something that if it would be different, your life would be better. It may be something that's presently happening. It may be something that happened in your past. Maybe for you, the, the scar that you carried is that you grew up in a, in a broken home and you found yourself being stuck between two parents who argued all the time and you were the go-between for them. Maybe for you, it's an addiction that you just keep going back to and you can't seem to find a way forward. It might be a behavior. It might be a feeling. It might be something you wish that, that just wasn't true about you, wasn't true about your story. Or maybe... As you've aged and gotten older, you've started to look around at your life, and you thought that your career would feel different or would be different than what it is. You thought that it would be further along than what it is right now. Or maybe if you're married, you thought your marriage would just be different than how it's played out. See, and the reality is, Brene Brown, who is the leading researcher on shame, said this. She said that it is impossible to make it to midlife without shame or trauma of some kind. It's impossible to make it to midlife without shame or trauma of some kind. See, and what happens is all of those things from our story, all those things from elementary school, all of those things, uh, you know, from high school and college, everything we've done and everything done to us, we carry with us into our relational world. And have you noticed that even if you change jobs or relationships or schools or move across the country, all of those things came with you. Even when you changed bosses, did you notice that the relationship ended up becoming largely the same? Or maybe if you have a history of of changing friends a lot and notice that your friends just keep kind of doing the same thing or they keep leaving your life for the same reason. And you might be surprised that when it comes to shame, when it comes to figuring out how to deal with guilt and regret, the Bible actually has a lot to say about it. It's actually kind of surprising. The Bible has a ton to say about our regrets. It has a ton to say about guilt and shame. And the first place that we encounter it is actually a surprising place in Genesis 2. See, in Genesis 1, God creates all that we see. He creates our first parents, Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 2, the writer of Genesis says, "And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. See, what's amazing to me about this verse is that it says they felt no shame. It doesn't say they felt no pride. It doesn't say they felt no sadness or no anger. I I mean, of all the words that the writer of Genesis could have chosen in this moment, he says they felt no shame. That in their most vulnerable state, the writer of Genesis wants us to know they felt no shame. I mean, think about that. This is the way Genesis 2 is describing God's good plan for our lives, for our relationships, to feel no shame. I mean, can you imagine that? No shame. I mean, we feel ashamed uh, fully clothed. We feel ashamed. To feel no shame. And what's interesting then is you move into Genesis 3, as sin enters the world, what do Adam and Eve do? They hide. They they sow fig leaves and and, and they cover themselves. And then God in his grace comes in Genesis 3 and he doesn't come scolding them. He comes looking. We're told in Genesis 3 that he comes and says, Adam, where, where are you? He comes looking. He pursues Adam and Eve, even though he knows what they did. And as shame enters into the world, as sin enters into the world, they cover. And many times, here's one of the things that we have to unpack today. The thing that is holding you back in your relationship with God, with yourself, and with other people are all of the places that you keep hidden. Okay, let me say that again. The thing that is keeping you From experiencing all the life and joy that God has for you in your relationship with him, in your relationship with yourself, and in your relationship with other people are all of the places you keep hidden. That is your shame. All of the parts of the story, and we all have them in our family of origin. We all have stories. We all have people that we don't talk about. We all have situations that we don't mention. We all have things that we don't go back to. We all have things that we try to avoid. But what Genesis 2 shows us, this is so important for where we're headed today, that we were created to live free from shame, guilt, and regret. We were created to live free from shame, guilt, and regret. God's intention for us is to be without shame, guilt, and regret. I want you to imagine for a moment. Imagine your life without shame, guilt, and regret. Can you even imagine? I mean, can you even imagine... Not carrying those things. See, and these words are incredibly important. Uh, Counselor Ed Welch said that shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. The feeling of being exposed and humiliated. Shame is this deep sense that you are unacceptable. See, guilt is a sin that we've committed. Shame is a sin that we have suffered from. Regret is things that we say, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I could redo that. See, guilt has to do with, with uh, actions, behaviors, but shame, the reason shame runs so deep in us is because it's a matter of identity. It's a matter of identity. But where did it start for you? It didn't start in your marriage, if you're married, it didn't start in adulthood. See, shame for us actually begins as children, intentional or unintentional. It shows up in things like being the last one picked for dodgeball in the playground. Do you remember being on the playground and seeing the kids dwindle as teams are chosen? And you start to think, I really hope I'm not the last one. And what happens when we get to the last kid? You have the two captains, and what does the one say? You can you can have both of those people, and that child then carries. I'm the last picked. I didn't get asked to the dance. Maybe as a as a little boy, you were told boys don't do that. Boys don't cry. Boys don't feel that. Or maybe as a little girl, you were told girls don't do that. Girls don't play in the mud. See, as adults, that shame grows and gains ground in our souls. And you start to see it in men in their 30s who continue to act like little boys who don't ever seem to move forward and grow up. As they feel small, they feel inadequate and worthless. Shame begins as childs hear from their parents. They'll never amount to anything. I remember one time standing at a funeral after, after doing the service and, and just this man weeping by the coffin. And I remember standing there and, and he said, I will never hear my dad say that I'm proud of you. I mean, he carried that for years. Shame shows up in, in marriage a lot of times. When we struggle to have a healthy sexual relationship with our spouse because of past abuse, past hurts, past addictions the shame around whether or not we're worth loving. We carry shame from things done to us. We carry shame because our life didn't go how it should have gone. Things didn't happen that should have happened to you. There were people who didn't protect you who should have protected you. We have shame around because our parents' marriage fell apart and we wonder if we did it. Our marriage fell apart. And we wonder what part we played. And we have all this shame that shows up. We try to puff ourselves up. We try to cover it up. We try to pretend that it's not there. See, and the, the tragic thing is, is that this doesn't just show up in our human relationships. But the shame we carry actually keeps us from experiencing God's love and grace many times. I'll talk to so many people who say, you know, I'm just not worthy to to pray. Like, I need to get my act together before I can come to church. Like, I just need to... And we have this idea that God is somehow disappointed in us. We have this idea that God is somehow angry at us. So many of us, whether we verbalize it or not, think deep down, does God love me? Am I worth loving? Is God disappointed in me? Does God shake his head and kind of have this disappointed dad look and just look at me and say, I can't believe you did that. Like, I can't. And what's amazing is that the first miracle of Jesus is around shame. I think it's interesting that when Genesis 2 tells us that the first result of sin that we see in Genesis 2 and 3 is shame, the first miracle from Jesus is about shame. See, the writers of scripture are telling us something really, really important. They're telling us that not only what God's good plan is in Genesis 2, but they're also telling us that God does not leave us in our shame. See, in in, in John chapter two, we're told this, that on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. Now, in the first century in Jewish culture, a wedding is a huge thing. It is not it is not a small backyard thing. It is something that the whole town came to and lasted a week. Okay? It was a huge party. And particularly because for Jewish people, weddings are connected to the coming of the Messiah. Okay? So weddings are connected to the arrival of the Messiah. So when weddings happened, what Jewish people saw was we are expecting the Messiah to come. We are enacting what it will be like when the Messiah comes. But then tragedy strikes in verse three. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him they don't have any wine. And Jesus says, what has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? My hour has not yet come. And Jesus' mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, they run out of wine. Now, at your Super Bowl party today, if you run out of something it's not going to be a huge tragedy. You're just going to run to the store. You're just going to go send someone to get ice. You're just going to go or be like, you know what, we'll be fine. But for this culture to run out of wine is a huge, huge thing. Okay? Because for Jewish people, wine is connected to the symbol of joy and celebration. It is also, there are numerous Old Testament prophecies that when the Messiah comes, wine will flow freely. So for them, at a a wedding celebration, wine was to flow freely because they're preparing for the Messiah. So for wine to run out, they're running out of joy, they're running out of celebration. One historian said that this shameful act could carry on in this family and hang over this family for generations. Let me ask you this Do you have anything in your family of origin that has hung over you for generations? Do you have anything? Any story that has just been passed down? Addiction that has been passed down? See, we have so many things in our story that just hangs over from generation to generation. And Mary says, They're out of wine. And the interplay between Jesus and Mary has always cracked me up in this, right? I mean, Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? I mean, the amazing thing, he has yet to say who he is. He has yet to say he's the Messiah. He's yet to say that he is God in human flesh. And his response is my hour hasn't yet come. He says the time hasn't come for me to reveal who I am. The time hasn't come for for me to, to die because every other time in the gospels when he says my time is referring to his death. And then it just cracks me up her response. She says, do whatever he tells you. Like, I just imagine at this wedding, I want you to imagine this for a moment. They're at this wedding. I just imagine that Mary says, do whatever he tells you, and she just walks away. Like, like the mom who's like, my son's gonna do whatever he, I told him to do anyway, so I don't even have to stay here to see. Like, I just know what's gonna happen. Like, I just imagine her just walking away, and everyone's, like, the servants are like, well, what do we do now? Like, and what does it say? Verse six. Now, six stone water jars had been there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. And when the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then after the people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, and the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. See, the amazing thing is Jesus' first miracle seems like a miracle to fix a party oversight. Like it's, it's not raising somebody from the dead. It's not feeding 5,000 people. It's not walking on water. In fact, this led one history professor who was not a follower of Jesus, to actually change his stance on the Bible and become a follower of Jesus. He said this, he said, if you invented the Bible or made it up, you would not use the first sign of Jesus's great career, a miraculous solution to a mere social oversight. So if you were making the Bible up, this is not at all what you would put in there. And the amazing thing is, is that as you read in this narrative, the bride and groom don't know that this happened. We're not told that they knew. Jesus, in his grace, frees us from shame that we are even unaware of. There are things in your story that you are unaware of, things in your past and in your family that you are unaware of, that Jesus has worked in and freed people in. See, John uses a lot of symbolism in his gospel. And the miracle of turning water into wine is a picture of things to come. See, in John 2, shame and guilt is what, for for all these people that they're running into. But look at how Jesus fixes it, purification. He says, get these jars, these purification jars, because throughout the Old Testament, we're told there are numerous rites that people had to go through to purify themselves, to enter into the presence of God, to enter into the temple. And he uses these, not other jars, he uses purification jars for this. This isn't haphazard at all. And what he's showing us is Jesus saying, I am the one that will free you from your guilt, shame, and regret. I am the one that will cleanse you from your guilt, shame, and regret. But the problem is, here's our problem. It's a couple of layers of it. One, some of us don't think we need what Jesus can do. Some of us look at our lives and we'll say things like this. Well, it's just not a big deal that that happens. So many times in our stories, we'll say things like, it's just not a big deal that, that it played out that way. That's just the way that it goes. We'll excuse things, or, or we'll say, well, you know what, it, it could have been worse. Like, my childhood could have been worse. And what we're doing in there is we're, we're actually, we're protecting ourselves. We're, we're trying to protect ourselves. But we're also saying, Jesus, there's parts of my hurt and shame that, that I don't need you to enter into. When we do that, but I love what Jess, Jess Connolly said. She said that if we we will repeat what we don't repair. See, and if we don't if we don't name things, if we don't put a name to something, we will just repeat it. Notice. They named their shame. We ran out of wine. We ran out of wine. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, let me show you how I purify you. Because if you're taking notes, and I don't want you to miss this, that Jesus frees us from our guilt, shame, and regret. Jesus frees us from our guilt, shame, and regret. See, just like I said at the beginning, the first notion we have of sin is shame. And Jesus' first miracle is about shame. Jesus came. Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead so that you could be free from your guilt, shame, and regret. So here's how I want to invite us to close. You might wonder, this seems like a really odd first relationship talk. But the thing is, is that the things in our past, they keep us from being the better half in relationships. And they keep us from from so much of the life and joy that God has for us. So I wanna ask you to think through, what is it in your past? what What do you try to keep hidden, even from God, that you need to bring to him? Is there anything any guilt, any regret, any shame that you've just carried around and you've tried to keep hidden. You you don't talk about it. You don't bring it up. Maybe maybe even your closest friend or spouse has no idea that it happened to you. And Jesus with open arms says, "I'm here. I'm not disappointed in you. I came for you to be set free." I lived, I died, and I rose from the dead so that that is not the end of your story. So as the band is gonna lead us in a song, and I wanna encourage you, it's a song that we know well. We've sung it numerous times. And it's about how Jesus delivers us. And I wanna encourage you to just take a moment while they start. And to just bring those things, to name those things. To name those places of shame, to name those places of guilt, those places of regret. And as we sing, when you're ready, it's just a reminder that Jesus delivers us. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus delivers us from that shame. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that in your grace, you do not leave us in our shame. You are not repulsed by our shame. You do not run from it. You enter into it. And God, for many of us, the things that we have kept hidden are things that we have carried for years, for decades even. things said to us, things that weren't said to us. So God, we want to bring them to you. We want to stop carrying things that we were not meant to carry. So I pray right now, Spirit, that you would help us to fall into you and to give you those places, to give you those parts of our story that we have held close. In your name.